All right, praise God. And here we are uh, once again, discipleship class. And this is number 24. I was thinking today that um, that means after tonight we'll have, what, 12 more. So 24 out of 36. So uh, another milestone coming in 12s and 6s. So praise God. I am thankful that you're here. We've got a good group in the room with us uh, this evening. And so we are looking forward to learning together, growing together experiencing the Holy Spirit together, the truth together. Amen. My prayer is that, you know, we don't just hear the Word of God, but that we experience it, that, that we actually have an encounter with the truth. And that's such a, a powerful, powerful thing in our lives. So um, before we pray, and I'm not going to use last names on purpose, but there's a, a brother in the room named Blake who wants to say howdy to his wife named Kristen, who is uh, joining us tonight. And so Blake says hello and that he loves you. And um, so praise God. Um, that kind of makes me like a radio dispatcher, doesn't it? You know, WHCC, <laughs> live on radio. Anyway, praise God. <laughs> so, so here's a, yeah, your mom say hello to everybody's moms, loved ones. Um, so there's some pretty, this is pretty cool, okay? Um, in the early days of our marriage, I was um, working night shift for the city of Hoover and my wife was still working um, at, at Chick-fil-A. And we worked together when we were dating and then after we got married at Chick-fil-A and then the Lord blessed me with a good job at the city of Hoover. And so sometimes um, we would literally pass each other. You know, I was going home from work and she was um, going to work. And um, so the local Christian radio station, WDJC, they had this thing at Valentine's where you could call in and um, wish your loved one um, a Valentine, you know, whatever, happy Valentine, whatever. And I mean, it would be like, so throughout the day, you know, I mean, just all day, you know, 24 hours of Valentine's, they would, in between music, whatever, they would just play like one, somebody would say, um, you know, hello, darling, you know, whatever, you know, so, you know, uh, Susie, you know, just want you to know that I love you and happy Valentine's and blah, blah, blah. And so it's just kind of throughout the day. Well, so obviously working night shift, I'm sleeping uh, during the day. And so I set an alarm to wake me up at uh, 2 o'clock or something like that. I don't know what exactly when it was, but anyway. So the clock radio, when it wakes me up, I'm not making this up, okay? When it wakes me up, it was literally my wife's voice. She said, uh, Mark, I just want you to know how much I love you and happy Valentine's Day. And this is, I'm like, you know, I'm like, wow, you know. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I don't know why I'm sharing that other than I just gave a shout out to a man's wife. <laughs> And discipleship counselor <laughs> training class. All right, how about if we pray and get started? Father, you're so good to us, and we love you so much. Thank you, Father, for teaching us um, the difference between fond, affectionate feelings for you and commitment and devotion to you and, and what you have uh, for our lives. Father, as we talk about you and, and who we are in you and what we are in you tonight and your will for us, Lord, help us understand um, Lord, that your will is something that we, we must pursue and submit to and, and surrender our wills to, Father. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to do that. Thank you that you not only know best, but you desire best for us. Um, every word you've ever spoken to us, about us, Lord, over us, has been with our best interest in mind, Father. And so we trust you tonight. Lord, even if at times some of the things that we read in your word doesn't initially make sense to us or even feel safe or seem right, Lord, we know that you only want good for us and you want us to trust you. So teach us to do that tonight, Lord, as, as we learn from you and from your word and from your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for what you're doing in the lives of those who are a part of this class. Um, and Lord, 
Also, thank you for what you're going to do in the lives of countless others uh, because these men and women have chosen to be better equipped to do what you've called them to do. Thank you for good reports. Thank you for good things. Now in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So I had, um, I had a gentleman call me this week. Um, he is now a licensed professional counselor. Uh, he's one of those counselors that can take Blue Cross, Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, like, the, not, when I say the real deal, obviously a volunteer, pastoral counselor, whatever, is the real deal as well. I don't mean that any disrespect to someone who doesn't have those kinds of credentials. But um, this brother will soon have uh, DR before his name, doctor. And, uh, but he took this particular class, and I don't want to exaggerate it. If he's watching right now, he'll probably correct me later. But I, I want to say he has the record like maybe nine times he took discipleship class. And um, so he had just had a counselee leave his office, um, again, licensed professional counselor. Um, and, and he works in a group of counselors who are Christians, but they're not necessarily, in other words, they don't, they don't say we're Christ-centered counselors, you know, whatever. But, um, but he called me to say, um, some of the things he learned in discipleship class, he said, I just used that in a counseling session with, uh, um, with a client, and, um, and it really, really helped him. And he said, so I just thought I'd call you and give you a shout-out, you know. And I thought that was pretty cool, because I mean, this is, this is, these aren't my answers. These are the Lord's answers. I'm just passing them along, okay. But even at that quote-unquote level of clinical, uh, licensed professional counseling, um, the Lord's answers still work, you know. I don't know if you ever heard of something called cognitive behavioral therapy. Anybody ever heard of that? CBT, cognitive. It's a real popular mode, modality of counseling. And they so ripped that off from God. Okay? Because what, basically what cognitive behavioral therapy says is um, how you think determines how you behave. And if you're ever going to change your behavior, you've got to change your thinking. Um, hello, Old Testament, New Testament, right? And it's exactly the answers that God um, has. And so even when we talk about the answers that... Um, People who may not even know God, if those answers work, I just about guarantee you every single time um, they're God's answers and people just kind of left God's name out of it and changed some of the terminology, but it still comes back to, you know, the, the, these things belong to uh, the living God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. So we are um, answering this very important question, uh, what is man? And I'll uh, put the slide up right quick. Okay, what is man? And um, we've spent a uh, better part of two classes now talking about man as a God-class being. Man is a God-class being, okay? And if you've just recently tuned in and maybe the first time you've heard that terminology, it, it may almost be offensive to you. But as we have committed ourselves to finding out what the Word of God says about these things, not what you know religious opinions are, um, we see that this... Truth is supported uh, throughout the Word of God, and we've looked at it from many different angles, many different perspectives, um, from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And among the things that we've really, I think, emphasized, and I guess we've probably emphasized them more uh, in this 18th year of doing this than we have in previous years, but that's just how the Holy Spirit does. He knows what we need to emphasize, you know, at times more than others, is the whole idea of things have to be comparable in order to be compatible. And this is, of course, the reasoning behind God making us so much like Himself in His image, in His likeness, to look like He looks, to function the way He functions, because He created us uh, to be uh, one with Him and have fellowship with Him, intimate fellowship with Him. And so we said that your number one purpose 
and highest calling in life is fellowship with God. All other purposes are not only secondary to this purpose, they are dependent upon it. And I know we've had some great questions and discussions on air, off the air about, you know, exactly what that looks like. What does fellowship with God look like? And in so many ways you can compare this to like, what does it look like to have fellowship with another human being, another person? And, and obviously it's simple things like including them in your life, giving them place in your life, giving them preference in your life. Um, no one wants to have a relationship with somebody that is you know, always on their terms. Um, and, and you're never, your interests or thoughts are, are never considered and that sort of thing. And so, you know, developing a dialogue, an ongoing dialogue with God, the, the scriptures are very clear that we should pray without ceasing. And if your understanding of prayer is, you know, kneeling in a dark room somewhere, uh, well then, you know, how, how do you do that? But, you know, where you just have an ongoing dialogue, either audible or in your heart with the Lord, um, where if he's ever, you know, out of the forefront of your mind, he's never very far uh, from your thoughts. And, and practicing including him uh, in your life and the decisions that you make. Um, one of the things that, that I love to tell people is talk to God about everything. One, because we need to talk to him about everything. But number two, if you develop that as a pattern of life, talking to God about everything, should you ever come into a situation where you um, do not want to talk to God about something, it'll become a tremendous red flag, right? In other words, if you've, if you've developed a pattern of life and living where you talk to God about everything, and then let's say you begin a relationship that you don't want to talk to God about, that ought to tell you right there that that relationship's probably not one that you need to participate in. You, you, you see what I'm saying? That's just kind of a, uh, a drop-the-hammer way of, of making the point. So... But again, including him, talking to him, involving him. I've done some writing over the last few days, and, and one of the ways that I try to explain this in a, in a book that I'm working on is that I think a lot of God's children treat him like a plumber, you know, and, and you don't really think about the plumber until um, your toilet's overflowing and it's headed towards the carpet in your bedroom. Now, all of a sudden, we need a plumber, you know. Um, but if, you know, as long as, you know, everything's flushing and all the waters are, are you know, all the waters are flowing and, and there's no leaks, then it's kind of like, you know, the plumber's just, you know, some guy's name on the refrigerator with a magnet on top of it, you know. And, and this idea, you know, that we only need God when there's crises and things of this nature in our lives, um, again, that's not fellowship with Him. Uh, fellowship with Him is including Him in everything that you, that you do and, and, um, and it's, it, it's amazing how it uh, it'll transform um, your life. Now, let's, um, let's look at a, a few new verses. And, you know, I was just talking to the Lord about this today. You know, I'm like, you know, Father, what, did, what started many years ago as maybe a 45-minute segment now has turned into two classes. In other words, I know more about what the Bible says concerning us being God-class beings than I did when I first started teaching this. And so at some point, it's like, you know, where, where do we draw the line? Because, you know, it can make this point so many different ways, and we could literally fill up a whole other class with things that we haven't talked about to make the point. But I think we've, you know, sufficiently covered it. But I do feel led to just show you a few more things, and then we'll move on to number two. Uh, what is man? Man's a God, number one, man's a God-class being. Number two, man's a spirit being, but hold off on that. We'll get to that one in just a minute. Uh, I want to draw your attention tonight to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. 
Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. Now, this particular passage is uh, um, one that I, I want to encourage you to become familiar with because it's, it's actually um, some of the, uh, the closing um, words uh, at, at, at the end of a very important prayer that actually begins up around verse 17 in Ephesians chapter 1. And this is the prayer that Paul said he never stopped praying um, for the church at Ephesus and the individual members of the church at Ephesus. And so th this particular prayer uh, and, and what, it's, what it says is one that uh, I've probably prayed this prayer more than any other prayer I've ever prayed in my life. Okay, And it talks about praying that, that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that the eyes of our understanding you know, being enlightened, that we would know. And then he talks about all these things that he prays that we would come to an understanding and a knowledge of. For instance, that we would know the hope of God's calling in our lives, that, that we would know what um, are the riches of his inheritance that he's invested in us. Um, and then he goes on to talk about how um, God has, you know, strategically placed, God the Father has strategically placed Jesus um, above all power and principality. And of course, we know in chapter 2 that we're seated there together with him. And then it comes uh, to, to this in verse 22. It says, and he, speaking of Father God, put all things under his, Jesus, the context is Jesus. God has put all things under Jesus' feet. And notice now, gave him, Father God gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this, again, man is a God-class being. We've looked at this from the perspective of purpose, not so much because we're trying to teach purpose, but we're trying to understand that this was the purpose according to the Word of God that Father had in mind for us and then created us in light of that purpose. So if He'd have just created us, I mean, let's, let's talk about, I'm not trying to be graphic or anything, but God created uh, certain organisms that, de, that, that, uh, that dispose of waste in, in, in the world. I mean, you know, like a, an animal out in the forest, you know, that's, that, that died or whatever, you know. It's, there's, there's certain organisms that God created to for the purpose of um, consuming, turning that animal's carcass back to dust or what have you. Again, I'm not trying to be gross or graphic. I'm just trying to show you that you know, everything God created has a purpose, um, and He created it in the light of that purpose. But He didn't create you and me to dispose of um, you know, dead animals in the forest. He created us to have fellowship with Himself. And so this is why He created us as a God-class being. And now we see perhaps the, the greatest level of um, comparability, compatibility that there is. And, and that is Jesus is the head of a body that we are all members of. Okay, And I want you to look carefully. It might be easier to see it on the screen or if you have your Bibles open. Um, verse 22 says, the church, comma, last two words, um, the church, comma, verse 23 begins lowercase w, which is his body. The church, which is his body. So I, li I like to do it this way. Uh, again, when this was originally written, it was not written uh, in chapter and verse. And so he's emphasizing here that the church, um, th this word church means uh, ecclesia. It's the called out ones. Um, we've been called out of darkness. We've been called out from this world unto our God, into his kingdom. So if you're a born again man or a woman, you are a member of the church. 
But the church is not just an organization. You know what I'm saying? It's not just, uh, you know, it's not certainly way more, I think you know this, but it's, it's the church. We, see, we think of a church as a building. Um, that's just the, the place that's been designated by God for his people to meet. So the church is not a building. Um, the, the building is the place where the church meets. Okay? Like when we dedicated this building, November 19th of 2000, we said, okay, we've built the building, now let's build the church that goes in this building. See, it's not, you would think, well, wow, you know, y'all built a church. No, no, see, we built a building for God's people to assemble in, for the church uh, to assemble in. Does that make sense? Am I saying that? Well, we started about two blocks behind me um, in my cabinet shop, and um, so kind of quickly outgrew it. That was in June of 98, and, um, and so the Lord blessed us with the ability to buy this property and, um, and then and build this building. So, yeah. So, um, but the idea is, obviously, the, <laughs> the church is still being built in this building. We'll be in Jesus' name until he returns, because he said he'd build his church and the gates of hell not prevail against it. But it wasn't just talking about buildings. Or programs even. A lot of times we think of church as a, church, as a program. Um, I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with a program if it's something that honors God. But the real church is God's people. And notice it's the church which is His body. We are the body of Christ. Now, a lot of people look at this and they think, well, that's just like a metaphor. You know, it's, it's, it's just figurative terminology for us to kind of understand. No, no, not according to God. As a matter of fact, let me show you this verse in Ephesians 5 and 30. He says, for we are members of his body, okay? And look at this, of his flesh and of his bones. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now, if you're familiar with Ephesians 5 in, in this uh, section, he's talking, he begins to talk about uh, a man and a woman coming together as one in, in a marriage covenant where the two become one. And, and so we see that two people, God has made it so that two people can enter into a covenant before Him and He will literally take them, those two individuals and make them one. The outward joining of the two bodies is simply a physical representation of a spiritual reality where God takes two spirits and joins them together as one. and makes. That's why the Scriptures say what God's joined together let no man uh, put asunder because God joins two people together uh, inwardly okay, in, the, in their spirit um, and then... Um, the, uh, the outward act of, of consummation of a marriage, the physical uh, act of intimacy, is an outward expression of that inward reality. And so he's talking about these things, and he's, he's going through these things. Um, but he says, and, and if I could kind of give you a paraphrase here, he says, it's not that what God does with us when we're born again is like marriage. It's like marriage is what God does with us when we're born again. Because when a man or a woman is born again, we become one spirit with God. Um, he takes, and we'll talk about this when we talk about the new birth, but you're, you're, um, when you're born again, He doesn't refurbish your existing spirit. Um, he buries it and puts a new one in you and then puts His spirit in you and your newly born again spirit and God's spirit become one spirit. This is where you become joined, united together with Him. The Bible says you become joined to the Lord and become one spirit with Him. Yes. Okay. There's the spirit before we're before the moment of salvation. That's one different, separate spirit than the spirit we are after salvation. Yes, sir. Brand new creation. And, well, and, and I sometimes I mention things, and, I, and when I hear them coming out of my mouth, I'm going, "Okay, you know, because that's a four-hour class, you know, right there." But, um, but yeah. So, um, 
so this is like 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is a very popular passage that, you know, uh, Home Interiors made a million dollars off this one, you know, but if, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and now all things are of God. He's not talking about your flesh or your soul. He's talking about your spirit. Your spirit is, is born from the dead and, and, and uh, is given new life in Christ and becomes a new man. That's why you, we literally become a new man in Christ Jesus. Yeah. It's, see, it, Amen. Yeah, a lot of it. Well, and because, um, so it's been a minute or two um, since I taught this at the, at, at the Foundry uh, Discipleship class. Matter of fact, I want to say it was leading up to the Christmas holidays. Buffy, does that sound right? When we talked about, um, had you already phased out by then? I know you still came after you phased out some. When we, when we were talking about um, um, the, the new birth and, and what happens uh, in, in the new birth. Okay, all right, so it was December 14th, yeah. So, um, so, but the point is this, okay, there are a lot, a lot of people who've been born again who have no idea what happened to them when they were. There was, we, born again, got saved, received salvation, walked the aisle, all these other terminology that we use to talk about this salvation experience where we ask Jesus into my heart, that's another way we say it, okay, um, but there's a lot, a lot of people that, that have received that gift, but they have no idea what they received. They have no idea what happened to them. And because of that, it's very easy for the devil to, to deceive them and trick them uh, and, and for them to not ever really take full advantage of, of what, it, what is true about them now because they've become new creatures in Christ Jesus. So we'll break it down with drawings and, 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 and everything uh, in, in the days ahead. Uh, do what now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So... Um, but the reality of it is then is that it's not a metaphor. We are literally um, the body of Christ. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So you talk about uh, comparability and compatibility. Um, you know, th this is, you know, an, an amazing thing. Of course, physically speaking now, you know, we, take, we can take a kidney out of one person, put it in another, a heart out of one person, put it in another, a lung out of one person, put it in another. But even... Even then, you know, there are some very, very strong um, medications that that person, outside of a miracle from God, has to take the rest of their lives to keep their body from, from rejecting that. So, um, you know, we are members of the body of Christ. Now, just to further make this point, um, Acts chapter 22, verses 7 and 8. Okay, Acts 22, 7 and 8. This is um, uh, the Apostle Paul talking about his salvation experience on the road to Damascus. And if you remember, he was going to this place called Damascus to arrest Christians because he believed uh, them to be a threat to the true and living God. And so he was uh, going to take care of them. He oversaw the imprisonment and even the execution of, of many believers in, uh, when the church was you know, just beginning, just starting. Um, but of course, he had an encounter with the true and living God um, on the road to Damascus. And pay close attention to what, um, how the conversation goes. Praise God. All right, let me swap it over here. Um, so Paul speaking, um, at this point he was referred to as Saul, um, but he says, And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Is that what it says? Why are you persecuting my followers? Why are you persecuting the people who are trying to help me and serve me? 
That's not what he said, right? Notice, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. So notice now, this is God's perspective. And remember, that's what we need more than anything else. We need to see things the way God sees them. We need to understand things the way God understands them. We need to write, agree with God and agree with Him quickly. So this isn't just something that religion has come up with. And obviously the Bible fully supports it, that we're the body of Christ. And not just metaphorically, but literally. But here we see when Saul was, um, gross understatement, picking on, uh, harassing, abusing uh, even overseeing the execution of members of the church, members of the body of Christ. When, when Jesus corrects him, he says, why are you doing this to me? In other words, he takes it personally because it is personal. Because um, re remember this verse from 1 John four seventeen, And I know we've been talking about this on Wednesday night, guys, that are, that, that, that are, that are here on Wednesdays but in the main service. But love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because what? As he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. So when we, I think, let, let me, I don't mean to be, um, how do I say this? I, I'm, not, I don't, I, I'm not trying to be cute or, or tried or whatever when I say this, but in other words, I think we have more than given anyone who genuinely wants to understand this enough uh, word of God on the subject to make the case that man is a God-class being. Um, that God created us just a, a little bit lower than Himself, um, crowned Him with glory and honor, and um, because again of, of, the, of the position that Father God desires for each of us to occupy, um, all the way down to uh, members of His body, of His flesh, of His bone, um, and when someone attacks you in some way, Jesus views it as a, as a personal attack on himself. Now, we could go over to the end of Matthew where, you know, Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. Are you all familiar with that particular uh, parable where um, Jesus says uh, to a group of people, Thank you. Um, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Or gave, I, was, I, I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was in the hospital and you came to visit me. I was in prison and you came and, and, and helped me. Right. And they're sitting there going, Jesus, when in the world did we ever, you know, when were you ever sick? When were you ever in jail? When were you ever hungry? When were you ever in need of clothing? And Jesus says, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. So again, see, I, when I say we could go on and on and on with this for another two classes, you know, I don't think I'm exaggerating in that. Um, you know, and then, of course, the opposite of that is when you have not done it unto the least of these, you have not done it um, unto uh, me. So, you know, any kind of act, like even as far back as Proverbs, the Bible says that anyone who gives to the poor, you give to someone who's poor, God says that you um, loaned it to him and he will repay you. So you give to somebody in need, God looks on that gift and he says, okay, you gave to them, but I'm looking at that as you loaned me some money or whatever, and I'm going to repay it back to you. So notice, you see the connection there, you know, we've, we've been, I know some of you can't stay on Wednesday nights, and I'm not trying to tease you with that, but, you know, we've been talking about this powerful connection between love and operating and living by faith, and, and how, um, you know, critical, um, you know, it is for us, uh, you know, to do that, and, and, you know, we, 
we literally see in 1 John that we love God by loving other people. In other words, if, if, if you've ever wanted to, like, give God a gift, like, for example, you know, it's like Christmas or birthday or whatever, you know, you want to give somebody something nice, then give it to somebody in need. And, and, it, and as far as he's concerned, you gave it for him, you did it um, for him. I'm just trying to show you God-class beings, all right? Now, let's, um, let's move into um, this next one. All right, so we're, again, answering this question, what is man? Um, the first thing that we've looked at is that man is a God-class being. Number two, what is man? Man is a spirit being. Man is a spirit being. Now, <clears throat> both of these are extremely important. I'm not trying to rank one over the other, but if you were only going to understand one of these, I would probably want you to understand number two even more than number one. Okay, To me, number one gets us down, um, you know, Jesus talked about the man who built his house on the rock, and in order to do that, he had to dig through some stuff to get down. You know, if you've ever dug a foundation, you don't just go build a house on top of the topsoil or the sand or, or loose soil or whatever. You've got to get down to something solid and then build up from there. And strategically speaking, when we're talking about, you know, digging deep and, and getting our lives established upon the rock, uh, the foundation that Jesus has for us to live our lives from. Um, the digging deep part is when we dig through all the things that we think that are not correct. All the all the stuff, you know. I call it like the topsoil of life, and you know, topsoil is many many years of leaves that have fallen and rotted. You know, this, all this stuff that's just kind of accumulated, and we believe it, but don't even know why we believe it. And and so we have to dig through that stuff. And there's a lot of things that people believe about God and believe about themselves that God never said, that God's never done, that God doesn't have anything to do with. And if you're ever going to get your life on a, on a really firm foundation and live the way God you know, wants you to live, it requires this digging process where we're digging through these things that we think that are not correct. And so when we talk about man as a God-class being, um, uh, doctrinally, this is kind of like a, I don't, I don't mean it like violently, but it's kind of like a, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like a, it, it kind of punches you right in the, in the truth or what you believe to be the truth. Um, and, and if you can begin to wrap your heart and mind around this as extreme of a doctrine or teaching as, as that may seem, um, you see it in the scripture over and over again in so many different places and from so, so many different perspectives. It's like we kind of begin to say, okay, man, wow, you know, um, <laughs> shoo, you know, this is, this is pretty amazing, right? Um, but then we come to this next one. Again, if anything as important, if not more important, um, that, uh, that man is, you are, I am a spirit being. Okay. Now I'll explain a little more in detail what we mean by that. Um, let's go uh, for a minute though back in our minds. Uh, and I know some of you maybe were not here when we covered this in class, but when Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus that a man or a woman must be born again, Nicodemus made a classic mistake. And that classic mistake is he tried to understand spiritual things from a fleshly or flesh-only perspective. So what did he say when Jesus said, you must be born again? He's sitting there scratching his head. How can a man, when he's old and full-grown, go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Notice now, Jesus has just given him a spiritual truth 
but he's trying to process it from a physical or fleshly perspective or understanding. And so when Jesus says you must be born again, the first thing he thinks about is a full-grown man being born from his mother's womb a second time. Jesus explains to him, no, Nicodemus, what's born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay? Now, most people on planet Earth think of themselves as a physical being, as a, as a fleshly being, okay? as opposed to what you truly are, and that is you are a spirit being. Now, back in the day, I used to make, begin this section by asking people to pull out a piece of paper and make a list of all the spirit beings that they're aware of. And inevitably, people would make a list that would include God. Sometimes they would break down God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They would put angels. They would put demons. You know, they, they would make this list of, of spirit beings um, as identified by the Scriptures. Um, but rarely, if ever, would, would people ever put themselves on that list. Okay? Because we don't think of ourselves as spirit beings. We think of God, the Holy Spirit. We think of angels, you know, demons, you know, demonic spirits, angelic spirits, Holy Spirit. We, th we think in terms of that. But when we think of ourselves, again, very few people ever think of themselves as being a spirit being. But the real you is not the body that I'm looking at sitting in these chairs. Okay? The, the real you is the spirit that lives inside of that temporary uh, dwelling place called your physical body. It's also referred to in Scripture as a tent. Now, I want to try to um, be as concise here as, as I can, but if we go back to Adam in the garden, and Eve, for that matter, in the garden, if you remember, once he sinned, he... Um, realized that now he was, he was uh, uh, naked and, and he began to look for some way to cover himself. And what I'm offering to you is that when Adam sinned, um, a couple of things happened. He went from only being aware of God, or I like to say God conscious, okay? But when he sinned, he immediately became sin conscious. What does that mean? It means he became aware of his sin and the negative emotions that um, you know, you know, was all of a sudden present in his life because he had sinned. But there was a third thing that happened, another consciousness, another, another awareness that also came right on the heels of his sin consciousness, and that is his self-consciousness. Now he becomes aware of himself, okay? And up until that point, everything he understood about himself, everything he understood about his, his life, his future, his destiny, all of that was information that came from, directly from God to himself. So this is what we mean by he was only God conscious. But when he sinned, he became sin conscious. But watch this now. He didn't lose his God awareness. So now he's aware of both that he sinned. And now God's coming in the cool of the evening, and I've messed up, so let me go hide from him. So from God conscious only to now he's God conscious, he's sin conscious, and he's self-conscious. He's self-aware. Now, God asks him a couple of questions. Father God asks him a couple of questions. One of the things he asks him is, is he asks him, Adam, where are you? It wasn't that God didn't know where he was. He was asking that question because, because Adam had vacated the position that God had put him in. Okay, And the other thing... When Adam answered, 
he said, um, I, uh, I ate the fruit that you told me not to eat, and, and so I hid myself from you because I was, I'm naked. And God says to him, um, who told you you were naked? All right, now that is an extremely significant question because it marks a very sad milestone in the history of humanity because what has just happened and what God is going to emphasize by this question is that for the first time in the history of humankind, we've developed an understanding, an opinion, a thought process about ourselves that did not come from God. Are you following this? Okay. In other words, God didn't tell him he was naked, which means he got that information from another source. Okay. He got that information from another source. Yes. Okay, so let, let me keep uh, talking here um, because we know that prior to that sin, right, that Adam and Eve were naked in the garden and they were unashamed, okay? And they were unashamed because they were not aware of or conscious of self, okay? So wa watch this now, okay? Before Adam and Eve sinned, right, they were not aware of their physical body, now, I know that, that, that sounds so far-fetched that it's like, no way. No, no, hear me, please. Just listen to me. They were so, because again, we're not flesh beings. We're spirit beings. Okay? They were, let me see if I can say it this way. Hold that thought. They were so aware of their spirit that they were unaware of their flesh. Okay? Now, we, we hear something like that and we think, man, there's no way. How could that be? Okay, but watch this now. Heaven looks at us now and says, they are so aware of their flesh that they're unaware of their spirit. Right? We've become so fleshly aware and so fleshly conscious that people don't even understand that they have a spirit, much less that's who they are, that that spirit is what they are. Yes. I would say childlike from the sense of innocence. Yeah. From innocence. Yeah. Okay. Um, but see, brother, sister, you, listen, we, we ain't never lived in a place like we're going to live in one day in heaven. All right. And, and, to, and to no longer have the burden of, of this flesh and that law of sin and death that we've been talking about in our morning classes together, um, to be free from that, to actually have a body that is comparable to the born-again spirit that already is inside of this one. The Bible says God's put a treasure, your born-again spirit, in an earthen vessel, even this physical body. So, the, you know, what God has done in us at the spirit level of our existence, remember, that's just the beginning. He who began the good work in you there will be faithful to see it through to completion. And completion is when this body is redeemed and becomes a glorified body. One, one that is comparable to the born-again spirit that's already in here. Okay? So it, it, would be like, it would be like trying to play a 4K you know, high-definition DVD on an old black-and-white television. 
In other words, that, th th there's, a, there's signal and data and video on that disk that that black and white television doesn't have the ability or capacity to project. Okay, so in the same way, you've got a 4K DVD inside of you with a black and white uh, television flash. You know, you're trying to, to emanate that, trying to pr project that. That's kind of maybe a, an odd way of, of explaining it. But, but that's, that's the reality of, of the born-again spirit. So, yes, I'm seeing lots of hands here. Okay. There you go. When we, when we go home, will we be spirit conscious and self-conscious without the sin? But you, then you just mentioned something about our new body. You know what I'm saying? Our much so when I say God conscious, it's not that Adam was like walking around in oblivion that he existed. That's not what I mean. But everything that he knew and understand about himself and his existence, he received from the spirit of truth himself, from, from God himself, right? So now all of a sudden... Uh, and, and think about the emotions that he had based upon that, okay? In other words, how he felt. You know, I mean, not that feelings are, are, are the you know, end-all, be-all, but think of how he felt. And, and, and See, I'm not trying to... Praise God. I opened this can, so let me just you know, keep, keep digging in it with a spoon for a minute, okay? But notice now, I'm, I'm not trying to freak you out, but, but Satan himself... Because he's, he's a spirit, okay? He embodies a serpent and walks up to Eve and begins to talk to her. Adam and Eve were so aware of the spirit realm that this didn't freak her out. I don't, I don't know about you, but like if a, if a serpent walked up to me and started talking to me right now, Hello, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We fixing to go into tongues in the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. I mean, you know what I'm saying? In other words, but see, they were so familiar with the, 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 the realm of the spirit. Remember the prophet who woke up one morning and, a, and, a, and an army had surrounded his little house and they, were, they come after him and his, and his um, servant went outside to let the cat out. I don't know, whatever. Went outside and all of a sudden he's like, oh my goodness. And he comes in in a panic. And the prophet's like, would you pass me that toast over there? And they're like, you don't understand who's outside. And he says, Lord, would you open his eyes? And he looks out the window and he sees angels that have surrounded the army that has surrounded them. See, what, see he was able now to see into the realm of the spirit. Let me tell you, those angels are in this room right now. They're with us right now. We just, we just can't, we can't see them, right? But they were so aware. Let me, let me, normally I teach this more extensively at a later date, but since I've opened this door, let me, let me just walk on through it, okay? So Adam went from God conscious only, God conscious, sin conscious, self conscious, all right? Now here's the, here's the rest of the statement. With each passing generation from Adam, mankind has become more and more sin-conscious and self-conscious and less and less God-conscious until we come to the days of Noah when the Bible says this about mankind, every thought in every heart was only evil continually, meaning they had lost, with exception of Noah and his family, they had lost all awareness of God. Are you, are you following me? All right. So 
it's, it's so easy for us to think that things have always been like they are right now. And that's not only have they not always been like they are right now, they will not always be as they are right now. We're in a very unique bracket of time where we have uh, born-again spirits living inside of us that are also seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places, but we're also in uh, a, a, a fleshly body that was um, you know, contaminated from the curse and the law of sin and death and these things that, that are a part of it. See, your body was never, you were never meant to die. Your, your physical body was, was never supposed to die. If you understand cell regeneration in your physical body, right, every cell that's in your body right now wasn't there in the past. Cells are constantly regenerating, and, and one cell dies and another one replaces it, and you've got gazillions in, in your body, right? Okay, but watch this now. Something happens when we reach a certain age that every time the cell regenerates, it doesn't quite regenerate like it was uh, when we were 14, 16, whatever, 18, right? Um, that's why you start developing wrinkles in your face. That's why you start losing muscle mass, all these other things, right? Because, I mean, think about when you were, when you were young, guys, and maybe ladies too. Man, you could work out three times and all of a sudden, you know, wait till you're 50, 60. I mean, see, all that starts to slow down. And we're like, why does it slow down? You, you follow what I'm saying? Why does it? Because God created this body originally to live forever, but sin dealt it a death blow. It's got the law of sin and death in it now. And so it's going to have to be done away with, and it's going to have to become a glorified body. Glorified body doesn't mean fog bank. It doesn't mean like we're just walking around like, you know, uh, 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 some kind of blob of mist, okay? Jesus is in a glorified body right now, sitting at the right hand of God. He ate food, hugged him, they touched him, felt him, and then he walked through a wall. That's a glorified body. And it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a phenomenal, fascinating thing. All right. So, again, with each passing generation, you know, we went from, remember now, um, Cain is having an audible conversation with God about killing his brother. <laughs> this is how aware they were of the spirit realm. This is how aware they were of, of, of that whole, uh, you know, realm of the spirit, whatever we want to, we want to call that. It's invisible to us. We, we tap into it and access it by faith. Okay? And there are times when God pulls the curtain back and lets us see into that realm. But that's not His plan for us right now. Okay? So with each passing generation, people become more and more aware of their sin. They become more and more aware of themselves and less and less aware of God. Let me say it another way. I pray that you are more aware of Him now than you have been maybe ever in your life, or at least more aware of Him now than you have been in a long time. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And notice how the lights come up in, in, in our spirit. Um, you know, the flesh that used to dominate us. And, and you know, I love the, the, what John the Beloved said. He says, the darkness is passing away and the true light's already shining. Okay. Just a dark cloud that came between the God who is the light and, and us. But now that darkness is passing away and the true light that's been shining ever since the beginning. And we're starting to see that light. We're starting to walk in that light. We're starting to experience that light and the benefit that only the light of God can produce in us. So let's go back to it. Um, you know, they were so aware of their spirit that, that they weren't aware of their flesh. Now all of a sudden they sinned and they're like, what in the world's going on here, right? They become aware of it. And, and we think that's impossible, but that's, 
let me say it one more time, okay? Heaven looks at us and they're like, how did them folks not know that they're spirit beings down there? You know, we, we've become so aware of our flesh and living for the flesh and by the flesh and what feels good to the flesh and all these other things that we, we've lost complete sight of, of who and what we really are. Mankind is a spirit being. Okay? So let me, let me just say this, all right? And, and I, it's going to take, take me probably weeks, if not the next 12 weeks, to really make this point complete obvious and clear to you the way it needs to be made to you but here here is the the simple truth okay satan is hoping you never see yourself never understand yourself as a spirit being he's banking on you never understanding this you never comprehending this you never embracing this all right and there are lots of reasons for that but let me let me give you the biggest one all right when you become a new creation in Christ Jesus you become things that you were not before you 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 develop, you have authority that you didn't have before you have gifts and access to things that you didn't have uh, you know in you before or access to before all right and, and you, you take on an identity in Christ Jesus that you didn't have before, all right? So here, here's, here's the issue, all right? People get born again, and they become this new creation in Christ Jesus, but because we, we still think of ourselves as a physical being instead of a spirit being, all right? Um, and because we know more about our life in the flesh and our identity in the flesh than our life and our identity in the spirit, we tend to still live more like the old person we were instead of the new person we became. All right? We became something we were not before the day we were born again. But most people still see themselves as, think of themselves as, know more about the person they were than the person they became. So no wonder we still live like the person we were instead of the person that we are, the person that we became in Christ Jesus. And until you understand you're a spirit being, right? And what's true about you as a spirit being is what's true about you uh, in, in the eyes of God. And, and so this is why discipleship is boiled down to the renewing of the mind. The more you see yourself as you truly are in Christ, the more that will be reflected in your daily life reality. Discipleship is a lot of things. One of the things discipleship is the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. But as long as you think of yourself, see yourself in light of the, the way you lived and maybe even will continue to live in the flesh, that's how, you're gonna, that's how it's going to continue to unfold in your existence. So, and I, and I know, man, this is one of those classes where we're just, I call it going out in front of us, building a wall, then coming back and backfilling, okay? So a lot of these statements that I'm making, it's like, okay, that sounds really important. That sounds like I need to know more about that. Hang around. We, we will spend lots of time on this. But the simple point that I'm trying to make is Satan, see, if, if you never understand what, am, what is man, if you never understand you are a spirit being, the alternative is you'll continue to look at yourself in light of your physical existence your physical limitations. See, remember I told you you'll never know who you are till you know, till you know what you are, and you'll never know why you are till you know who you are. See, if, if you only consider yourself as a physical being, then that limits who you can be and what you can do. But when Jesus said, hey, the works that I did, you'll do also, and even greater works because I go to my Father. See, he's not talking about what you can do in the flesh. He's not talking about how smart you are to figure things out on your own. He's talking about who you are in him 
and the, and the capacity and ability now that you have to lay your hands on sick people and sick people recover. Wow. Now, far too many people, because we don't understand we're spirit beings, listen to me very carefully now, far too many people see themselves as a physical being. Don't miss this. You'll want to hear this, okay? They see themselves as a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. They see themselves as a physical being, flesh, okay? And, and so we're trying to experience something spiritually that will tickle our flesh or tease our flesh or satisfy our flesh or, or, or what have you, okay? Notice this is a completely wrong understanding. You are not a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. The reality is you are a spirit being experiencing a physical reality. You're not a... Praise God, you probably got it five minutes ago. But let me just stay here for a minute, okay? See, we see ourselves as, as, as physical beings trapped in a physical environment, groping, as Paul said, trying to have some kind of contact with the realm of the Spirit. Why do you think people go to all the crazy... Uh, you know, uh, seances and, and witchcraft. And all. again, it's because they're trying to, we know inside of us that there's got to be more to life than meets the eye. There's too many things that we've, ha we've experienced in life for which there's no explanation. There's too many things that, 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 you know, maybe we can dismiss one or two of them as coincidences, but there's, we've lived too long to know there's got to be something going on here that we can't see. And, and people instinctively are drawn to, to, to the realm of the spirit and spiritual things and, and why do you think uh, we're talking about highly paid highly educated uh, uh, owners uh, or, or presidents of NBA teams do you know how many of them when it comes time for draft lottery day how many of them wear some kind of lucky sock or some kind of rabbit's foot charm or something it, it, there's what they're looking for something beyond themselves to give them an advantage, right? Think of all the superstitions, right? Who was it that said, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little bit stitious? Was that, who was that, Michael Scott? Right. Okay, so, but think of folks that, you know, you, you're driving home from church tonight and a black cat runs in front of you. Do you realize how many people that freaks them out? So, we see ourselves as physical beings trying to have some kind of spiritual experience. And notice how that plays right into the devil's hands. When again, the reality, the truth is you are a spirit being living in a physical world, experiencing a physical reality. And let me remind you that your connections to spiritual things is what enables you to change the physical reality that's around you. Make a mark on this world that can't be erased, as Brother Creflo says. All right, now, let me just, I'm going to put a bunch of verses up here, just kind of go through them quickly, all right? Um, John 3, 6, we mentioned this one already, so I'll be quick on this one. Jesus speaking, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's talking about, he's talking about a distinct difference here, that, that these things are not the same. And notice, we understand that, you know, physical birth... Um, we, we understand that, 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 that a, a woman can give birth physically to a, to a child. We understand that. But so we talk about the spiritual birth. The spiritual birth is just as literal, just as real, just as genuine 
as, as the physical one. Um, any woman that's ever given birth to a child, they did not do it figuratively or metaphorically. Okay, that, that's, that's, a, that's literal. You know, I watch my wife give birth to two children. I say it all the time. She's, she's tougher than I'll ever be. Okay. But notice now when it comes to you must be born again, you, you, you must be born of the Spirit, you must be born from above, now all of a sudden we go to, well, that's just a metaphor. That's just, that's, Jesus is just like turning over a new leaf. No, no, it's not just like turning over a new leaf. It's a literal experience where you're born a second time from a different seed. Okay? Now, notice what he says here in James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, most of the time we turn to this passage to talk about faith without works. In other words, and, and, and certainly it's, that's the ultimate point that he's making there. But don't miss the first part of what he's saying. The first part is the body without the spirit is dead. The body without the spirit is dead. Okay, let's keep going here. Old Testament, I like to give you some from both. Uh, New Testament, Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Wow. Okay. Because we know the flesh was made from what? Made from the dust. Made from the dirt. All right, how about this one? Acts chapter 7 and verse 59. This is Stephen, the first martyr that we know of in the, um, in the beginning days of the church. They stoned him. It says, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Receive my spirit. All right. There you go. All right. So once, spirit, once Stephen's spirit separated from his body. It's not a trick question. I'm just trying to emphasize this point, okay? Once his spirit separated from his body and was received by the Lord, where was Stephen? Was that him laying battered and lifeless on the ground? That wasn't Stephen. Stephen's with the Lord. Because the real Stephen wasn't his body that he lived in. Brother and I was having a conversation the other morning and and. You guys, I think, know this answer by now. Um, anytime you hear the word wisdom, I want you to think results. Wisdom equals results. Anytime you hear the word death, anytime you hear the word death, I want you to think of separation. Death means separation. Okay? I started to get you to say it for me, so. All right. Death equals separation. There's two kinds of death, two kinds of separation. There's spiritual death. This is when a man or a woman's spirit has been separated from God. Then there is physical death. This is when a man or a woman's spirit and soul separate from their physical body. Spirit and soul separate from the body. That happens when your body expires. Okay? Right? When, you, when your body dies, that's physical death. Okay? So spiritual death is when... See, as, as before you were born again, your spirit was dead. All right? It was dead because it was separated from God. What separated it from God? Sin. And not your sin. Adam's sin is what separated us all from God. Okay? It'd be like if, if I was to reach over and unplug that television out of the wall. That television would go dead. 
that television would not de dematerialize and, and, and evaporate in front of us. It would still be sitting there. It just wouldn't have any life connected to it. Are, are you following me? So when I say our spirits were dead, it, it doesn't mean they were non-existent. It means that they were, they were no longer connected to the source of life that they needed. Okay? Here, here in, in this uh, current day and time in which we live, okay, um, how about this one? My phone is dead. You're holding it in your hand. Now, that can mean one of two things, right? It can be dead because the battery, the life, the juice, the electricity that powers it has run out. Or it can be right there glowing in your hand, but it's not connected to the tower. It's no longer, watch this now, receiving a signal. It's dead. Okay. So when our spirits were dead, it was both. We were disconnected from the source of life, and, and we weren't receiving the signal anymore. Now that we've been born again... We've been reconnected with God. Okay, that's what new spirit, born again spirit, God spirit, one spirit. Okay, so this is, this is the eternal life that we have now as born again believers. Okay, that, that, that is, is powering us, if you will. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, okay. Okay, all right. So Stephen's lifeless body is laying there on the dirt. He's in heaven. He ain't hurting. He ain't got no bruises. And, and his body probably looked maybe unrecognizable. Yeah. You take a crowd of people with a bunch of heavy stones, bashing him with rage and hatred as hard as they can throw those rocks at him, his body probably looked like a mess. But his spirit was unscathed. You know what I'm saying? There was, there was, no, um, there was no markings on it. Okay. Now, how about this one? I, we could go on, but let's just, amen, let's, one more, or maybe one more, maybe more. Luke 8, 55. This is when Jesus raised that little girl back from the dead. Notice what happened to her. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And this was a little girl, I think she was 12 years old. She'd gotten really sick, and she died. Her dad was a priest, Jairus. And um, you may know the story that he went to get Jesus. And on the way there, a woman, a woman who'd been sick for a bunch of years uh, with the flow of blood, she touched Jesus' garment and was made whole. And Jesus stopped to talk with her. And, and, and in the process, this little girl died before Jesus could get to, to the man's house. Well, Jesus raised her from the dead. It's very easy to say he raised her from the dead. But notice what happened when he raised her from the dead. Her spirit returned. Like her body is laying there with no life in it because the life has separated. You see, spirit, soul separated, shell is laying there. Yes, you see in this. So when Jesus raised her from the dead, what did he have to do? Hook battery cables, you know, like what's those things like, you know, uh, paddles. You know what I'm talking about? Like they, uh, thank you, defibrillator. No, I, you know, that obviously thank God for those things, okay? But that's not, Jesus didn't try to jumpstart her with the defibrillator. He called for her spirit, to, which had left her, to come back into her body. So her spirit returned. When, her, when she died, her spirit um, left, okay? Now, this is one of my favorites right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident. Yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be 
present with the Lord. Absent, <laughs> I like that word. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, absent, right? It's, it's kind of like when he told the, the Apostle Paul to call his body a tent. And he said, I got a house prepared for me. Okay, and it was a glorified body. He said, it's already prepared. It's already in heaven waiting on you. Okay, step into it. It's going to be a glorious day. It's going to be a glorious day. Man, we, you, listen, y'all are all beautiful, but you ain't never looked as good as you're going to look that day, right? When we step into that glorified body. And here's the thing. The Bible says we'll, be, we'll, know, as we, we'll know others as we're known now. So, so we'll, we'll recognize each other. It won't be like, you know, no. That's you, Pastor Mark, you know. You know. <laughs> I don't be, no need to be silly about any of that. All right. So, absent from the body. I don't know. So, um, let's say somebody's absent from class tonight. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that they are no longer exist. It just means that they're not here. You follow this, right? My, my precious grandmother, okay, um, it, you know, her earth suit, as I like to call it, because remember, you can't exist in outer space without a space suit. You can't exist on planet Earth without a space suit, without an earth suit. Her earth suit's out there in the cemetery at Highland Memorial. Um, but my grandmother's in heaven. She's absent. If she was still on this earth, she'd be at church tonight, okay? But she's absent, okay? Because she's with the Lord. Absent from the body for a born again believer is present with the Lord. Okay? Amen. You still with me? Amen. All right. So um, here is a, um, a simple drawing. We developed this. This is kind of the first uh, edition of this, first introduction of this. Um, you are a spirit. You have a soul. And you live in a physical body. Okay? Amen. One more time. You are a spirit. If you're going to write down one thing from tonight, I want you to write this down, okay? You are a spirit. Matter of fact, let's do it. Let's personalize it. I am a spirit. Write it that way. I am a spirit. I don't have... See, we, we think again, we think of ourselves as being physical beings that have a spirit. No, no. You don't have a spirit. You are a spirit. Okay? I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a physical body. I am a spirit. I just want to, man, I just, see, every time I, the devil gets more and more nervous every time I say it because he does not want people to understand this. If you don't know what you are, okay, then you'll never know who you are. You'll never know why you are. What is man? God class being. What is man? Man is a spirit being. So I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. Okay? So let me, let me kind of give you an example. And, and when we get to spirit, soul, and body, we'll develop a lot of this in a whole lot more detail. And we'll add a whole lot more doodads to that drawing. Okay? But one that I think is really interesting is... Paul referred to his body in the third person. He referred to it as an it. Okay? So, for, for example, he said, I, 
bring my body under subjection. When he says I, obviously he recognizes that he ain't his body. That's not good English, but it's good doctrine, okay? That he is not his body, right? He's, he, he ain't his body. He's a spirit. And so when he says I, if I could do this without walking off camera, but you, you got it, right? Excuse me, folks. Okay. Um, I, I bring my body. He recognized his body wasn't him. I bring my body under subjection. I will not let it rule me, but I will rule it. You see, do you see how he's talking there? This is a man who understands what he is. It's a man who understands that he's not a physical being trying to have some kind of um, you know, spiritual experience. But he is a spirit being experiencing a physical reality. All right? Now, praise God, we got all kind of good stuff right here. Let me see. Um, how about this one? This is a good one right here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. It says, furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? It's Father of spirits. Notice capital F on Father there, speaking of God. God is our Father, but notice He's the Father of spirits because you are a spirit being. Okay. How about this one, John 6, 63? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Wow. Now, I'm not, listen, we're, we're kind of going fast here. Right, let, me, let me kind of slow down just a second. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. When we talk about it being living and powerful, we're not, we're not talking about just a mere physical life or, or fleshly power. We're talking about the, the, the spirit and life power of God himself. Let, let, we've talked about comparability, compatibility. See, because you're a spirit and God's word's your spirit, guess what's compatible with your spirit? God's word. That's why it can feed you. That's why Jesus called it bread, right? The bread of life. It's because His Word is, is nourishment to your spirit. Because it's of, it's, of the, it's of the same substance. It's spirit. It's spiritual. Okay. Now, man, I'm hesitant here, but I'm, we're going to dig into this. we got about 20 more minutes. Can you all hang in here with 20 more minutes? Here, here is, and I mentioned a moment ago. Let's go back to the drawing, okay? You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. The devil only wants you to think of yourself one-dimensionally. Most people, most people think about themselves and life uh, one-dimensionally in terms of physical body, flesh body. Okay. We have to understand the three dimensions that we are and have so that we, what's the right word I'm trying to use? It, it provides a, a, a foundation. So, so let, I mean, I, I think everybody, obviously folks come here early on a Wednesday afternoon for a two-hour, almost two-hour class. 
you guys are pretty committed, okay, and, and obviously hungry and want to learn and want to want to know. Um, but let's let's just say for a minute that you're still not convinced. So it's like, I don't know about. I mean, I know there's probably some spiritual things out there, but but me, a spirit, I nah. You know, let's just say that's you, okay? Well, then think about all that now is off the table for you, all that you just excluded yourself from, all that um, that you have no ability or capacity to access or participate in. How about this one? With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. See. You see why the devil wants you to think that, you know, flesh first, flesh only. If, if that's the case, then there's all kinds of things that you'll never get over. You'll never put behind you. You'll never resolve in your life because, because there's no human, fleshly, man-developed answers for that. Okay? It's impossible. But now, if we shift over into the things of the Spirit... <laughs> now there's no limit. Now um, all things are possible to him who believes. So a flesh first, flesh only approach to life means life with many limitations. A spirit led, spirit first, spirit things first life, okay? Now the only limitation is what you can believe God for. See, that's how, we were, that's how we were meant to live. That's, that's, we start talking about our best life, then, you know, that's what we're talking about. Now, I'm not stalling, but I'm stalling a little bit here because I'm trying to just get some clear direction from the Lord. In, in my, me and him are kind of having this conversation inside while I'm having this conversation with you outside, all right? Um, let, me, let me put, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. Okay, here we go. This helped me, and you probably already got it, but this is just one more layer uh, and one more example. If you think of your body as the most sophisticated and amazing glove that's ever been created or produced, okay, um, your body is a glove and your spirit and soul slide into that glove. Now, I know it's a little bit silly, but, you know, the, the arm of my shirt is moving because the left arm that's in the shirt is moving. When I get home this evening and take this shirt off, hang it in my closet... Notice I said that and Pam's not here, right? Because it probably won't go in the closet. But just say, you know, I'm committed, right? Okay, now, put it in my closet. Um, the arm won't be moving anymore. So the only reason the arm of the shirt's moving is because there's an arm in the shirt that's moving it. So if you can understand that, then that's the same as true. The only reason my body is moving is because there's a spirit and soul that's in the glove that is my body that's moving. Now, there's, it's kind of a complex term, and, and the actual word is, I like to say it this way, it's interface, okay? Your body was created by God with the ability to give expression to the spirit and soul that's, that's now in here. 
You understand what I mean? Like, so God created the body in such a way as to give expression to the soul, to give expression to the spirit. So that's why we have like neurochemicals. I'm going, I'm going deep on you now. Just stay with me for a second, okay? You, I can almost see the hands going up, okay? And that's okay, all right? But just chew on this for a minute, okay? Your brain and your mind are not the same thing. Your brain and your mind are not the same thing. Don't get it? Okay. Your, your, your mind is a part of your soul. See, long after your Jesus tarries and you live to be 120 or until you're satisfied, and your brain is dead, remember, unplug the TV, right? Your mind will still function. How about these folks that have had these um, out-of-body experiences where they die and then are brought back either through medical means or miraculous uh, intervention from God? And they have, they have vivid memories. They can tell you who was in the room working on them. They're like out of their body in the trauma unit watching people work on them. Maybe even brain dead but yet back into their body and they have memory. So when I, I, your mind and your brain are two separate things. Your mind plugs into your brain, meet computer, okay? So now I have a physical organ called a brain that enables me to process the thoughts in my mind. Are you seeing this? Yes, no, I'm not trying to confuse you, okay? Now, so let's say one day again, when the hand slips out of the glove, the brain's no longer functioning, but the mind, memories, thoughts, ability to think. So when we say that the, the body was created by God in such a way as to interface with, think like, I know this, this is kind of a, like a computer monitor, and I, maybe it'd be an odd way of saying it, but a computer monitor, right? It's created to project what's going on in the, um, the computer itself. They're, it's a peripheral, right? It's, they're connected, and so what's going on there is projected onto that screen. If the, if the, if the, let's say somebody throws a rock through the computer screen, okay? I mean, as long as it's not an all-in-one, your computer's fine. Just get you, a, get you a new screen. The brain, right, is in the computer. I'm, I'm sorry, the mind is in the computer. It's being expressed through the screen. Yes, is that helping? I'm trying to... Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna throw something at you just because I wanna I really wanna understand. Throw something at what you're saying here. So like if, if there's somebody sitting in the chair right in front of me and they're brain dead, you know what I'm saying? Are they are still able to take in information and, and, and the like if I go, Ooh, you know what I'm saying? He he can see me, right? That I don't you know, I don't know. That's a that's a good question. It it really depends. You know, sometimes folks like I've been called to the hospital, you know, different situations, you know, where someone um is on like quote unquote life support, you know. Right, right. And there are times where I've seen God intervene miraculously and people come off of life support. There's one gentleman in particular who's involved in a in a horrible, horrible accident. And um and his family had all gathered um at UAB downtown and I've never had this I've been in ministry and pastoring a long, long time. Never really had this exact experience, but they said, look, if you want to see your dad alive you need to 
And they literally, I, again, I say I've never, I've never seen this before and never after. They let us go back in there and see him. And obviously they asked me to come. I just acted like I was part of the family. I guess I am spiritually. Um, to pray for him. He's laying there like bleeding out. It, and they're working on him. And I, again, they just usually don't let you in there like that. Um, and uh, that was, I don't know, 12, 14 years ago. He's alive and well, doing great, teaching college today. You know, I mean, it's a miracle, you know. Um, but there's other times where I've been called in on people on life support. And I'm not saying every time, but it's like you go to pray for them, and the Lord's like, they're with me. You just know they're not there anymore. They're with him, absent from the body, present with the Lord, you know. Um, and uh, so in that case, you know, they, they everything's, you know, you, we got chemicals, man. We got stuff. Who was it was talking about that the other day? One of the brothers in, in class or somebody was talking about, after class was talking about, um, you know, we got all this medical stuff that can keep a body alive almost indefinitely, you know. Um, but it's, you know, again, there's no, there's no life there. I mean, there's, there might be uh, certain chemicals that are keeping the heart moving and so forth and so on. But, you know, it's, it's just... It's, I don't mean this disrespectful, but, you know, lights are on, but nobody's home. In other words, literally, you know, um, there's that person's with the Lord, been with the Lord, you know, been with the Lord six weeks or, well, you know, I mean, maybe not that long, but you, you know what I'm saying? Yes. No such thing. Okay. No. So any recollection you have of that was just you went unconscious? So obviously in that situation, and, you know, it's kind of like people talk about, man, bass love this lure. I'm like, who's ever been a bass to know what a bass likes and doesn't like? You know what I'm saying? So unless you've been there yourself, I'm not trying to be funny, but unless you've been there yourself, you know, there's no way of knowing. I'm just basing this on mainly, most importantly, the Word of God, and then secondarily, things that I've heard from other people who've been through similar experiences, okay? So... I would simplify for those of you who are watching at home. Um, sister's talking about she had uh, overdosed, and they were performing CPR on her. Lips kept turning blue every time they quit performing CPR, and so she doesn't remember any kind of out of body experience or anything like that. And so I would I would simply say that you don't remember it because it didn't happen, right? And it was just because you're in in that state. Obviously, if if you understand what happens in a in, a, in an opiate over, overdose. Um, it, you know, the part of your brain that causes your body to breathe and that sort of thing just all kind of just goes to sleep, right? And so, you know, artificial uh, CPR and things of that nature. But, you know, clearly your, your spirit and soul, you know, did not leave um, your body. So, no, don't let that trouble you. It's not, a, it's not a stupid question, and I'm so glad that you lived another day to know the goodness of God in the land of the living, right, sister? Amen. Amen. Appreciate you sharing that, right? So, all right. Yes, sir.
came here and it was about at least three or four weeks. There was one night where I was asleep, but my like I felt like I was out of my body, but I couldn't move my arms or nothing, and I felt like I was being held down. Heard three uh, three people, and it's, it was deep voices. And then I felt a tap on the side of my bed, and I mean, I was told it was sleep paralysis, but I don't really believe in that type of stuff. Okay, so um, if those of you watching at home, brothers, talking about when he first uh, came to a, a local program that he had in, in while asleep, he felt paralyzed and like something was pinning him down. He's hearing voices and things of that nature. Okay, so it, it could be one of a couple of things, uh, maybe even more. Um, again, same answer to sister. I can just tell you what I know from experience, from um, studying these kinds of things, and also from the Word of God, all right? More than likely, more than likely, um, you finally found a safe place where you're mind would let your body rest and most people this may come as a, as a surprise to you but most people um, when they are asleep they they drop in there's different levels and depths of sleep um, I think it's called REM sleep REM sleep um, most people when they sleep at night when they go to that level of sleep they're actually their body's paralyzed uh, during that moment so something more than, more than likely you were in that moment and something triggered you or awakened you or aroused you in some way and it you know, t took a minute for your body to come out of that level or that depth of sleep, okay? So that's one and what I believe more than likely in your case, all right? Um, the second one, of course, is, you know, when we talk about being a spirit and, you know, there are demonic spirits who try certain things, you know, to mess with us and, 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 and what have you. Um, obviously, we have authority uh, over them. Um, you know, depths of depths of sleep, and you know, traumatic things from our brains, and you know, um, crazy dreams. You know, <laughs> these things um, can uh, obviously be have a physical origin or a spiritual origin. You know, um, but just based on what you're saying, I'm thinking you were just in really, really deep sleep because it's been a while, probably since you could really rest that soundly. And your body, man. So the amazing thing about sleep, and listen, I, you know, why God created us the way that he did, but sleep is such an important, important aspect of, of not just our, our physical health, but our mental, emotional um, health, you know, where, where, you know, your body does a whole lot. It's like a maintenance crew that goes into a building at night after all the accountants and whatever leaves and a maintenance crew goes in, changes light bulbs and cleans the floors and all that stuff. You know, when you... When you go to sleep at night, your body goes into that kind of maintenance mode. Um, and um, so it's one of the reasons why Satan tries to interrupt our sleep and hinder our sleep um, because, you know, he's trying to attack us physically. Um, and, uh, and lack of sleep is one of the key ways that um, that, that happens. So, all right, praise God. Um, let me, any other questions or comment on this? Is this, is this, are we going too far? Yes, sir, brother. I don't see how it's so hard to believe that we have a spirit living in this body with all the stuff that we believed when we were on our addiction. I mean, anything <laughs> you know, you believe in, so why can't you believe that there's a 
Amen. Amen. So I, I hear you and I agree with you, but I got to do it, okay? You don't just have a spirit. Come on now. Okay. That, see, that's the, that's the difference. So once we start getting, once we start to understand these things, then the devil will try to shortchange us and that we have a spirit. No, I don't just have a spirit. I am a spirit. So there's, there's a big difference between having one and being one. You, you see, and again, I'm, I'm just not trying to, not trying to jab at you, you know, and, and you know, I'm sure and sometimes I listen to, listen to a class or something I preach and I'm going, can't believe I said that. That's not what I was trying to say. So, I, but anyway, all right. Now, <clears throat> let, let's do this. All right. So I want to introduce you to this and I just feel led to do it. And we've only got a few minutes. So, um, here, here is the thought then that we need to explore because you are a spirit, you have a soul and you live in a body. This means a lot of things. And one of the things that it means is that you can experience in life two opposing realities, one person at the same time. Two opposing realities in one person at the same time. No, I'm, see, again, first, I believe the first case of bipolar was, was Cain. Because the Bible says he was um, uh, violently angry and severely depressed at the same time. Yeah. There we go. Okay. So here... So I'm trying not for, that's one of the reasons I was reluctant because I heard somebody over here, I think it was you, that cliffhanger. I'm not trying to be a cliffhanger at all, but I'm trying to take advantage of every, every minute we got. So here's the verse that is um, a foundational verse for this truth. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Amen. Outward man reaches a certain peak in life, and then for some reason those cell those cells start to regenerate at a at a little slower rate and not quite as perfect as they were the last time. That's the outward man. The body is the outward man. The Bible says that. It's perishing, but at the same time, the outward man is in decline. The inward man is experiencing a completely different reality. It's being renewed day by day. Outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, why, why, is, why are we trying to even, you know, tackle this? Um, because... When we understand that we are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body, there can be things taking place in the outward part of us 
that the devil will try really, really hard to tell you that that's who you are. That that's that. What, what's the um, what's the saying? If it if it looks like a duck, if it talks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, walks like a duck, whatever, it must be a duck. Okay, unless you are a three-dimensional being. See, looks like, talks like, walks like, quacks like, must be. That's one-dimensional thinking. See, no doubt some of you have had people in your life, right, that have told you because you've struggled in some area of sin that there's no way you can be saved. There's no way you're born again. There's no way that you would ever this, that, or whatever. But notice now, what are they doing? They're considering you from the outward man only. 2 Corinthians 5 says, from this point forward, we regard no man according to the flesh. Why? Because the outward man can't tell the whole story about you. Your outward man can be acting and behaving and presenting one thing, while your inward man is, a, is, is heading in a completely different direction. Like, for example, he makes you free. It is for freedom that he's made you free. What do we mean? What is it? it is for freedom that Christ has made us free. What does he make us free for crying out loud? Where did he make you free? Your spirit. He made you free in your spirit so that you can learn to live free in your life reality, in your outward man. Are you seeing this? He made you righteous. If you've been born again tonight, you are just as right in the eyes of God the Father as Jesus Himself. Because when you were born again, you were born again with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is, this is who He made you. When you were born a second time, you weren't reborn as the person you were before. When you were born a second time, you were born again right with God. You were born again in right standing with God. You were, you were born again uh, with, the, with the same righteousness and right standing with God that Jesus enjoys tonight because He gave you His righteousness as a gift. That's the inward reality. Outwardly, you still may be struggling with all kinds of Sinful behavior. And if you don't understand that you are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body, the devil will constantly be telling you that your outward behavior determines who you are. That if you act like a duck, if you quack like a duck, you're a duck. Unless you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, because that's who you are in your spirit, right? who used to be a duck and live like a duck, and because you lived like a duck for so many years, you still think like one, and because you still think like one, you still quack every now and then. <laughs> but that's not who you are. Amen. It's not who you are. And so discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Discipleship is finding out the inward reality of the new birth and beginning to see yourself and think of yourself in that light. The devil never wants you to understand this because he wants you to look at every sorry, miserable thing you've ever done and draw your understanding and evaluation of your identity, your worth, your esteem, all these things based upon the outward workings of the flesh. And God in his infinite wisdom, he knew that unless he made us free, we could never live freely. You seeing this? He's like, how are we ever going to get them to live righteous, Father? Jesus knew I'm just having this hypothetical conversation, right? How in the world are we ever going to get them to live righteous, Father? We're going to have to make them righteous in order for them to live righteously. You can't, you can't live righteously if you're not righteous. 
But see, religion says you've got to obey all the commandments long enough and, and, and hard enough to become righteous. No, it's going to never work. So we have two opposing realities taking place in one person at the same time. Next week, this is the cliffhanger, I guess. Next week, the Bible talks about kings living like slaves. Kings living like slaves. Right? Think how? No, if, you, if you're living like a slave, you're a slave. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says it made you a king. But as long as you are a child, you're going to live like a slave instead of the king that he made you. Doesn't mean you're not a king. Slave in the sense of the word. Slave to the flesh, slave to sin, slave to drugs, slave to sex, slave to whatever next thing comes down the pipe, slave, slave to it, right? It owns you instead of you ruling it, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, we were trying to get you to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I, praise God. I'm leaving you. It's like the devil can only attack, can't mess with your spirit soul, but it messes with your mind thinking that your body is what's ruling everything to make you mess with your spirit and soul. Yes, no. Yeah. He can't make you do anything, right? But he tries to confuse us, lie to us, deceive us, trick us, get us to think wrongly and correctly. Now, when we talk about the born-again spirit, that's the verse that says that the, that the evil one cannot touch that. See, that, that, that's, he can't touch that. The born-again spirit, devil, he's, he's scared of that, okay? So... But the, again, the, the mind and the flesh, that's what he tries to uh, manipulate and use against us. So we got the life of God in us. We got the power of God in us. We got the wisdom of God in us. But because we don't understand it and see it, it's very easy for him to trick us into living like we don't have any of that when we got all that. Two realities at the same time. So that's why people say, and, and listen, a lot of you have already lived it and know it, okay? You just needed somebody to tell you this. That's why people say there's no way somebody can live in active addiction and be saved. That's such a lie from the devil. Yeah. Right? I know people, and maybe some of you, right, drunk out of their mind in a bar telling people about God. <laughs> Sitting in a crack house getting people saved. And, and not because they're <laughs> there with a three-piece suit on and a family Bible under their arm, and they're out there doing it alongside them, right? Say, so, well, how does see begins? If you only think of yourself as a flesh being, and you look at somebody that's doing that in the flesh, you say, there's no way that person's born again. But see, again, flesh can't tell the whole story. I will. Ooh, that's a great question, brother. You have great questions all the time. Um, I, I, I'm going to simplify it, right? Um, the one takeaway he was asking, for those of you watching at home can't hear the comments in the room, the one takeaway I think is just that you're a spirit being, that I am a spirit being. 
I'm not a physical being trying to have some kind of spiritual experience, some kind of spiritual touch or, you know. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a spirit being living in a physical world, experiencing a physical reality. And greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. And I'm going to take who I am in Christ and what belongs to me as someone who's in Christ. And I'm going to, I'm going to make a difference in this world. And um, See, happiness is, if you never understand you're a spirit, then you're going to live your life chasing happiness. Happiness is based upon happenstance. We don't say happenstance, we say circumstance. Happenstance or circumstance, it's what's going on around you in a circle, circum, circumference. It's what's going on around you. Happen, happiness is based upon happenstance. In other words, if good things are going on around me, then I have a shot at being happy. But if bad things are going on around me, I'm more than likely going to be sad, confused, and depressed. Okay? Joy is a completely different thing than happiness. Joy is not something that comes from outside of you into you or even dependent upon what's going on around you. Joy is something that springs up like a fountain from inside of you and flows out of you. You see the difference, right? But if you only think of yourself as a, as a flesh-first, physical-only, body-only being, notice now the best you can hope for is, is enough favorable circumstances for you to be happy for a brief period of time. Same is true with peace, right? So you got the peace of God. That's why he says you, you can have peace that surpasses understanding. You know, some of these things that, that I've been uh, dealing with, uh, you know, my, my precious mother, you know, um, it's peace that passes understanding means you got peace and it don't make sense. You got peace when you shouldn't have, okay? It's because, again, it's not based upon what's going on or what the doctors are saying or what the, what the diagnoses are. It's, it's what's on the inside coming up out of us. Do you see the difference there? And the devil never wants you to understand that. He never wants you to live that way, obviously. Yes, sister. Uh, just to that there you go. And so you can have peace when you don't understand if you trust somebody who does understand. There's all kinds of things in life that, that, that I, don't, I don't fully understand, okay? But I, I, I can have peace in that because I, I know that God understands and I trust Him. And that may sound like just, um, you know, uh, word, verbal gymnastics, but it's, I promise you it's not. I promise you it's not. All right, Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, the things that you're helping us understand. Father, put it in our hearts. Renew our minds, Father, to the reality that we're spirit beings. And what's true about us begins, Lord, not with what we're doing outwardly, but who we are inwardly. And, Lord, that our minds would begin to, to, to take hold of that in deeper ways than ever before, that we begin to understand ourselves, see ourselves, Lord, from this new perspective. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you loved and nobody's told you that. Thank you so much for being here.